0: Good morning. It's Monday, August twenty fourth, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. No intro music today. No intro music the rest of the week. Actually, our great producer Tony Levitt is on a much deserved vacation. They've asked me to forge ahead without him and keep doing the show. I'm fine to do that. Love talking, but I'm not very good at stitching together audio and getting into the, the weeds on Garage Band. So we'll have to bear without intro music or any fancy audio editing this week. Um, today's episode, I'm actually going to run. Uh, the full audio of Josh Pate's show from Sunday night, the Late Kick show on 24-7 Sports' YouTube page also gets repurposed into a podcast format on the Late Kick Extra podcast feed. He also does, Josh also does a Wednesday episode of, of a mailbag, which is great. He's expanding the podcast to a few times a week. I thought it would be the perfect time to run his audio because it's refreshing to listen to. There's no COVID talk. There's no angst or or anything like that. It's just Josh talking about college football and fall camp standouts. The players we have our eye on latest buzz, you know, the the three power five conferences left. What are the races looking like in those leagues? I think it's refreshing. I think it's great to have. Um, We'll be back on Tuesday with a with a news based episode catching you up on everything you need to know across the landscape. But for now, sit back and relax and Try to get ready for some actual college football talk.
1: Let's dive into it. Latest whispers and intel out of camp. This is what we do to lead every show, especially during this time of year. Just the latest that we're hearing. We've got an entire network of team insiders, the best in the business bar none. And I like to leverage them as much as we possibly can. No particular order here. Let's just start it off. I wanted to go to Knoxville, Tennessee. We did not talk about Tennessee the other night. And we... um, got to talk about offensive line. I know a lot of people have asked us questions about Tennessee, and most of the time it is about the offense, but it's about Jared Garantano. Do you think he's going to be the starting quarterback? Or maybe do you think, hey, could Harrison Bailey be that guy? Well, to address Bailey, he hasn't really been active up there yet. He's in precautionary mode, I think I heard Jeremy Pruitt say. But as for that offensive line, watch that unit. Uh, I know a lot of you Tennessee Volunteer fans are, but watch that unit. It's one of the most important evolutions, kind of positionary evolutions, if you will, in the entire SEC this year. When you're talking about whether fill-in-the-blank, in this case Tennessee, can contend. And I go back to two years ago. I remember when we were in Hoover for SEC media days, it was Pruitt's, it was going to be his first year. And he was trying to be as diplomatic as possible, but he was telling you, our offensive line sucks. Like, we can't even find, and he admitted this a year later, we can't even find enough bodies to put out there to scrimmage. They couldn't scrimmage. They couldn't practice properly. And so to fast forward two years later, being going into 2020, and be talking about offensive line as one of the strengths of the Tennessee football team is incredible. And it's a testament to how they've gone about rebuilding that roster, which, contrary to popular belief, you cannot just do overnight. And the second thing is, with this whole Cade Mays transfer, uh, waiver denied, appeal in the process of happening type situation, think about this. Cade Mays, five-star offensive lineman. From the state of Tennessee. He just transferred uh, from Georgia to Tennessee. Think about the condition that your roster's in now where you could be counting on a five-star, former five-star offensive lineman to be ruled eligible. He's ruled ineligible. At least for now, that's the way it looks like it's gonna shake out. And you can look at that and say, man, that's uh oh, well, that's terrible. Oh well, we'll still be fine though. Tennessee. In a position now how about that where you can say oh we'll be okay we would love to have had that five-star offensive lineman we still hope we have him but we'll be all right either way they feel good they feel markedly better about where they are right now than any point not just in pruitt's tenure but the latter portion of the previous regime's tenure when it comes to offensive line. Now let's go to the state of Texas. There is stuff happening out here all over the place. So I wanted to go to University of first. So let's talk about uh, Texas. And they had a scrimmage yesterday. I believe it was Friday, Saturday. I get my days mixed up. But if you, this is why it's so important, guys. I tell you, if you're a member at 247sports.com, you know the value I'm already talking about. This is not a network where, you know, you subscribe to like auburnundercover.com and you only get the Auburn information. You get access to the entire network, all the team sites. And so, for example, Chip Brown, Taylor Estes, a lot of folks, I don't want to single anyone out, a lot of folks uh, run the Horns 24-7 site. So, you know, I can reach out to them and also a couple other folks that I knew out of Texas and you can get this kind of information. And the kind of information I'm talking about is if you were going into the season and the last thing that you knew about Texas was, I remember some preview magazines where, you know, Bijan Robinson, that's a big name and still is a big name now. Don't get me wrong. Uh, We expect him to do big things. But I'll tell you this right now. I'm looking down at this piece of paper that I jotted down from being on the phone with someone early this morning, and it wasn't Bijan Robinson. He's kind of been held out uh, because of groin issues. Now, Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7, I did see reported that, and Keontae Ingram, like that's a name that you know, but I'll tell you the name that I have written down here is Rashawn Johnson. That is the kind of name, and this happens every year with a number of programs, it's a name that's just bursting onto the scene. It's not a nationally recognized name yet. It's not even a regionally recognized name yet. That dude, according to people close to the Texas program, maybe the best running back they have on their roster right now. And I don't necessarily know that he's a household name, even amongst a lot of Texas fans. Admittedly, there's been a lot going on. So maybe you guys haven't been paying attention to every single practice report, but you write that name down. Rashawn Johnson. That's a guy who's making a lot of noise at Texas. And hey, the more the merrier in that backfield. Because Texas could could put together a pretty physical team this year, to be honest with you. Offensively, they could be as physical as they've been in quite a while. You couple that with, obviously, experience at the quarterback position. That's a good thing. You go to College Station at Texas A&M. I just kind of went all around the Lone Star State uh, last night and early this morning. I've made my thoughts well-known on Kellen Mond, Texas A&M quarterback, Kellen Mond. I think he just kind of is who he is. You may see incremental improvement this year in this stat category or that stat category. I'm just a believer that he is who he is. Who he is is not a bad player. Who he is is not a great player. He is a good to very good college quarterback. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can win with that. But you got to have the proper supporting cast around him, really just as you do if you have a great quarterback, See Joe Burrow. So with Kellen Mond, everyone's focused on him, and I'm not all that focused on him, only because I can listen to Jimbo Fisher talk about how he's matured, and I can... You know, listen to how he's got a better grasp of the offense. Listen, that's great. I would hope we didn't hear anything else other than that. He is who he is to me. I'm looking around him. And so I remember this time last year, everyone was excited about Baylor Cup. That was a big tight end signee they had. And then he got hurt and he was out. And so you ended up having uh, an all-American caliber tight end. It was just Wiedermeyer, who was one of the most physically impressive players I saw last year, by the way, at field level. And that was in week two, I think, when they played Clemson. That's the first time I saw him. Very impressive. Saw him again when they played Alabama. But point being, Wiedermeyer's back this year, but Baylor Cup's back. Now, it remains to be seen if he's at 100%. If you are getting 100% of him, you never know about injury, recovery, timeline. Everyone out there is saying the right things, but it's still early there. So the point I'm making is... Watch that duo. If they have both those guys at or near 100%, talk about being able to be physical and being able to be multiple in those two tight end sets and having a couple of really all-American caliber talents at the tight end position. You got Gilbert down at LSU. A tight end could be a really, really fun position to watch in the SEC West this year. But outside of that... um I'm, I'm looking at positions, and I'm looking at Texas A&M in particular, and when you're talking about the wide receiver position, you've got a guy, well, you got one guy established, okay? Jamon Osman is established, and that's the one you know you can count on. But outside of that, I remember sitting there when we were doing our signing day show, and it wasn't the early signing day show, it was the regular signing day show, so Demond Demas, I believe, had already signed With Texas A&M, but that's a five-star true freshman wide receiver. That's a guy who has an opportunity to make an immediate splash impact. You want to talk about Kellen Mond all you want to. That's fine. I want to talk about who he's throwing the ball to, and I want to talk about dependable targets there. And that's one of the names I'm watching right now: Demond Dimas. To this point, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but I will say this: That's the kind of guy that's got. SEC freshman All-American, uh, National All-American freshman potential. and that's the kind of guy who, in a 23-17 game late in the fourth quarter, is the kind of guy that can make a play that can be the difference between you going seven and three and you going eight and two, nine and one. Like that's the kind of skill set he has. It's up to Jimbo Fisher and Company to plug him in year one accordingly. Now that's terrible at TCU. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys saw this. We were doing the other night uh, an episode and a segment on Late Kick Live about the Big 12 and how I believe and still believe it is wide open. TCU is a program that a lot of insiders uh, that I talk to and that you listen to out in the Big 12, they've thrown them around. Everyone knows Oklahoma. Of course, everyone's going to talk about Texas, Oklahoma State's in pretty much everyone's preseason top 15, even before the shrinking of the sport happened. But TCU was a program that a lot of folks out in the Big 12 thought was kind of lying in the weeds a little bit. And part of their reasoning there, among other things, was Max Duggan at quarterback. Max Duggan's not starting at quarterback for TCU, at least for the first few games, and it looks like maybe for an extended period of time. It was this past week. I didn't talk about it Thursday night. I kind of wanted to let it simmer a little bit and see if we got any more information out of it. But Gary Patterson, head coach there at TCU, informed everyone that Max Duggan's not going to start the season. He had a medical condition, and I don't even want to speculate on what it is, but they caught it mainly because he was there. They were able to catch it. So he's going to be on the shelf for a little while dealing with that. Now, normally you would think, okay, well, I mean, listen, it's a, it's a major FBS program. It's Power 5 program. They've obviously got adequate quarterback depth. I don't know that TCU does. Uh, there is a name there that if you're a Georgia fan, for example, you remember the name Matthew Downing? That's a guy who transferred out of Georgia. He played mop-up duty a couple of games, from what I can remember. But he ran fourth string for TCU last year. That's the guy who, in all likelihood, is your starter this year to start the season i want to remain optimistic and i hope max duggan first off independent of football i hope he recovers from whatever it is he's dealing with and i'm glad they caught it but i always want to remain optimistic there is no reason to ever write teams off in early to mid or late august this season or any other season i don't see any way they contend for the big 12 if they don't have max duggan for the meat of their schedule this year so it's not optimistic but i think that is reality another thing before we move on here uh, this is not necessarily intel, but there have been some people vocal this week about a couple of quarterbacks not named Trevor Lawrence. And that is Matt Campbell up at Iowa State, my Iowa State Cyclones, just openly touting Brock Purdy as the best quarterback in America. Now, that was Matt Campbell's words, not mine. He said, I don't I think his exact words, I don't know what his exact words were, paraphrasing was, I wouldn't take any quarterback in America over uh, Brock Purdy. Now, I don't have a problem with that because you remember when. We came out with our 24-7 sports top 50 players in college football this year. I think we had Purdy at 35, and that was the guy that I took issue with not being listed higher. And They asked us to do one paragraph's write-up on the players that you thought were listed too low. I said, how in the world are we finding 34 players out there that we'd rather have other than Brock Purdy? I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying he's the best in America, but I think he's good enough to help the Cyclones contend in the Big 12. And another one. You're starting to hear more people chirp about Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is probably the most overlooked returning quarterback in America this year in a major program. Like, does anyone believe Auburn's going to win the SEC? Does anyone believe that Bo Nix is going to challenge to be the postseason first team All-American quarterback or or, or All-SEC quarterback? Like, does I don't hear many people say it, but yet this past week I heard some people speaking up. I think it was Philip Marshall there at AuburnUndercover.com, our Auburn 24 7 site, that said, I think he's the best quarterback in the SEC. He got some pushback on that, but I don't know how hard you can push back. Like, even if I didn't believe that, I don't know how hard I can push back on that because who are you really hitching your wagon to? I know Florida fans think it's a slam dunk that Kyle Trask will run circles around Bo Nix this year. I'm pretty sure Alabama fans think whoever starts for them, in all likelihood Mac Jones, would run circles around Nix. Okay, but I mean, would you bet your life on it? I don't think you bet your life on it right now. So just some things to think about. And I will tell you this as we conclude this and we move on. I've never seen a year like this. And that goes without saying, but I've never seen a year where information is, is so tightly guarded and so hard to come by. With the COVID measures in place, the folks you would normally rely on to be getting you some information, just a trickle of inside information out of these scrimmages and practices, they're not there. It is really, really hard. There are some places we probably won't get any legitimate updates on other than what the university chooses to release. That's abnormal, but that makes the trinkets of information that we do get, and I can share with you in this segment every show now, all the more valuable. So we're keeping our, our, our eyes out and our ears to the ground. Now, we love to talk schedule here, and we did our schedule release semi-specials the other day, and I'm going to have a lot more on that, and we will have in the coming days and coming weeks full grand season previews for several programs. A lot of the most notable programs... And in those, I will do my own strength of schedule analysis. And the way that I like to do it is I like to give every team, every game on your schedule its own individual difficulty rating or toughness rating. A lot of factors go into that, obviously. But having said that, just as much as everyone's going to focus on when Alabama and LSU play or when when does Georgia, Florida happen, I like to talk about landmine games too. And these are the games, let me tell you what it is and what it isn't always love to set the tone with this. What this is, is these are going to be games where there'll be uh, a decided favorite touchdown or more, let's call it, but they're losable games. And they're the kind of games where no one's going to predict it to happen. But if it does happen, people won't be totally shocked. You know, if the upset were to happen. So picked out a few games here, follow the logic. These are not picks. These are not predictions. These are just sort of, I don't have a red Sharpie in my hand, but if I had a red Sharpie, we're just circling these games with a red Sharpie. It's just kind of look out as if you were walking around actual landmines. Look out. We don't have to go far to start. Let's go to week one. Florida at Ole Miss. Could have taken the Kentucky-Auburn game here, but I think you feel a lot safer if you're Auburn at least knowing what you're going to get from Kentucky. No one knows what they're getting from Ole Miss. No one knows. And here's kind of the fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown is you got a guy who is probably willing to throw anything against a wall in week one in Lane Kiffin, a guy who knows offensive football in Lane Kiffin, and he's also got talent at the quarterback spot in Plumlee. Like, it's not a situation where he's walking in there and he's looking around at the roster and saying, well, this is a three-year minimum rebuild. Maybe in some places it is, but quarterback? They're good enough at quarterback. You talk about I was talking about Bo Nix a second ago being off the radar. Well, uh, Plumlee's pretty off the radar, too, nationally. I think Lane Kiffin's really excited with what he has there. And he's got options, by the way, at quarterback. Got options. Do you know what you're seeing? You have no clue, probably, if you're Florida. Now, you feel comfortable you got a roster advantage there, but none of the Florida fans that I've spoken to are looking at week one as anything more than a nice test. You're not worried because there won't be crowd there, so the true road factor is out the window. Most Florida fans I talk to, they are looking at week three and week four, and that's when they play A&M and LSU. And outside of that, we'll get some good solid tune-ups. There's no gimmies in the SEC, but this is one that we all expect to win. Hey, I expect you to win it too if I had to pick it right now, but just these are landmine games for a reason. How about week three? Tennessee at Georgia. When the SEC's schedule was released... Everyone knew and still knows that Tennessee's got a really tough slate. But I think that the Georgia and Alabama games were placed about as advantageously as Jeremy Pruitt could have ever hoped for. Here's what I mean. Let's start with this one, for example. Tennessee at Georgia. Um, There's this string early in the year. If you look at Georgia's schedule, there's a string early in the year where it's not easy. The back half of their schedule is very manageable. After the Florida game, it's very manageable. But the early portion, you got a lot of moving chairs offensively. You got a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, whoever it is. And so a lot of things may be still unsettled. And there's going to be this string where Georgia plays Auburn and Kevin Steele, really good defensive coordinator. And then they play this game I'm talking about. They play Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee. And that's the week before they go to Alabama and play Nick Saban and the Tide. And so if you believe in look-ahead spots, this is kind of a quasi-look-ahead spot that Tennessee catches Georgia in. And the reason really that I circle this is not because I think Georgia will overlook Tennessee. That's probably not happening. But I do believe that there is a perception and reality barrier here, a gap between the two, when it comes to the perception of rosters this year. Tennessee does not have a roster equal to Georgia that much is true. But what I am telling you is there's a perception still that there is a very, very wide gap between uh, Georgia's roster and a roster like Tennessee. And I'm not knocking Georgia's roster at all. They live up to all the expectations and all the marquee and whatnot that you give them. Tennessee's roster is better than people think it is. So what I'm saying is this is not some game where if I were to tell you, hey, Georgia's going to show up and play At a C plus B minus level, you'd say, "Oh, it's okay." They'll still out roster them. Mm, They may beat them, but it's not going to be because they just take a roster and lean on Tennessee. You could do that two years ago. You could do it last year, and you'll still have an advantage over them this year. But it's not so wide that you can afford to sleepwalk your way through this thing and just sort of survive and advance. I don't. I don't think that's the way Tennessee is going to be this year for several noteworthy opponents, including Georgia. Now, I'm going to stick with Georgia here, and. They play Tennessee, we just talked about that, then they go to Alabama, and then the week after that is their second consecutive road game against Kentucky. I'm going to do, Kentucky will have their own feature that we're going to do coming up. Tennessee has a tough schedule, and I talked about their biggest games being in manageable spots pales in comparison to Kentucky. Like everyone who covers the SEC, they're trying to make Kentucky a dark horse, and they're trying to make Kentucky the sleeper pick, and that's great. Um, If I were trying to do that in this blue shirt I'm wearing, if you're watching on the uh, the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, subscribe, by the way, I just look at the schedule. So I'm not going to go down that road right now, but Kentucky's schedule, they play a lot of tough opponents. It's fascinating where all those tough opponents lie, if you believe in certain scheduling dynamics and factors. But Let's go to week five. So Georgia's at Kentucky. They just played at Alabama. That's Georgia's Super Bowl, essentially. Now they go back out on the road, and they face Kentucky. So that concludes a string. This game will conclude a string for Georgia, by far their toughest of the year, where they have gone Auburn, Tennessee, at Alabama. That's three high emotional, highly physical games, back-to-back-to-back, and then they go on the road to play Kentucky. Now, this is a game. Where Georgia can out-roster someone. The thing you worry about with Kentucky is not if you bring it. You can play at your B minus level as long as you're relatively mistake free, you'll be fine if you're Georgia because you're that good. What I worry about is if this were the 2020 version of the 2019 Carolina game where you turn it over four times, you're minus four in the turnover battle, and just you don't have your focus, you don't have your fastball, which would be understandable coming off that three game stretch. What's really dangerous about that with a team like Kentucky is this is obviously their Super Bowl, and they possess the pretty unique ability to shave possessions off a game. This team right here possesses the ability and a totally, total willingness to play ugly, and they can shorten a game on you, and they can lean on you a little bit, especially if you know, you're giving the ball to them uh, in addition to the normal amount of possessions that they would have that's the kind of game that you could be favored by three touchdowns in, and yet someone texts you and it's saying, hey, you watching this Georgia game? It's, it's like 17 to 16, early fourth quarter. I don't know what's happening, but you might want to turn over here. And the last one that I wanted to get to, another Ole Miss game. Ole Miss at Auburn, or no, no Ole Miss at Texas A&M, week nine. Think this one through. This is a little ways out there. These other games were kind of earlier in the year. If we're in week nine, Ole Miss going to College Station. You just kind of picture it with me. I'm a believer that Texas A&M is still going to be alive in the Western Division race and in the college football playoff race at that point. I'm a believer in that. So think it through with me. A&M is coming off a game at Tennessee. Let's say they've won that game. So they survive in advance. They're still in contention. And they got LSU coming up next week. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that trip to Tennessee and they got LSU coming in next week, we're going to play Kentucky. Or we're going to play Ole Miss. Yeah, Kentucky would be dangerous too. We're going to play Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss, if we're thinking this through, Ole Miss probably not a great record at this point. Ole Miss has probably taken their lumps. But see, here's the problem. This game's in week nine. It's not in week one or week two. Week one or week two, it may turn out that they didn't have their stuff together, which is understandable, but Lane Kiffin and that team collectively, they had the light bulb moment between weeks one and two and three and four and week nine when we're playing them, if we're Texas A&M. Could be full ambush mode, is what I'm telling you. That could be Ole Miss's Super Bowl game. If you're looking for one of those program definers and the game you can package up and take out on the recruiting trail and sell to kids for a vision of the future, that'd be it. So those are some landmine games to look at in the SEC. We can do those for other conferences too. If you guys are interested, let me know in the comment section. The very latest on the college football season. Some of you have really appreciated that we have been keeping you up to date on, you know, the goings on in the Big Ten and whatnot and what's being whispered behind the scenes as opposed to what's being reported publicly. And I haven't spent an inordinate amount of time on that on this show because we really like to talk about football on here. But, I did want to address several reports out this weekend about the Big Ten athletic directors. There's a lot of scurrying, a lot of pretty public posturing going on in the Big Ten right now. Most recently, this weekend, you saw a report that the Big Ten athletic directors were 100% on board with playing the college football season. 14 out of 14 of them. And yet, they didn't play a season, obviously. So, uh, you you are you're seeing now a pretty concerted effort to get the messaging out there appropriately, and the messaging right now that you're getting, if you're just a casual bystander, is okay. The football, play, the essentially the football people wanted to play football, and the academic and political people didn't want to play football. And okay, that's all well and good. Well, ask yourself why, and I think the answer is obvious. The question is, all right, well, you're not going to get a football season in the fall, so why are these people? still talking, like, why is all this noise still happening? Because just because you're not going to get a season in the fall doesn't mean your brethren to the east, west, or south may not get a season in the fall. As I've told you, you have not cleared the biggest hurdle yet. The biggest question mark still remains. If everyone else cancels their season, this is totally forgotten, and maybe you're even looked at as a group of visionaries up there, led by Kevin Warren, currently embattled Big Ten commissioner. However if as we have spoken about many times now the seasons get off the ground elsewhere then everyone wants to have gone on the record as much as possible and everyone wants to have stated their case and if you're an athletic director up there not to mention a head coach or parents of players or players themselves you want to be able to have your flag firmly planted in the ground and you want that flag to say we wanted to play we were in the we want to play crowd You stopped us. So if heads are going to roll up there, it's not going to be any of the ADs because now we all know, hey, they they were on board for playing. The head coach is mostly on board for playing as far as we know. Parents certainly in mass have been on board for playing. The players wanted to play. It was, and this is the way it's going to be seen and I'm not so sure I disagree with it. It was a political decision. And keep in mind, this is if other conferences got the seasons off the ground and successfully completed. So we're talking about December. If we're looking at that being the case in December, people are going to rightfully look back on this and say, well, you obviously didn't have the correct medical advice being given to you, and you didn't listen to the proper protocols, and you didn't adjust accordingly with the data moving around day by day. So you politicized this. So if heads are going to roll, it's not going to be ours because we're football people, and you non-football types, you're the ones who cost us the season. The other, and I'm just kind of jumping around here to address several things, the other thing I want you to pay attention to is Nick Saban, of all people, down in the SEC, was the latest to come out this week and state, on the record, what a lot of us believe. And that is a fall, or a spring rather, college football season, would largely be a joke. He referred to it as something that would look like a JV product. It may be a little harsh, but I agree with it. I have yet to find someone. I would tell you if I had found otherwise. I have yet to find anyone up to and including coaches themselves who think that a spring product is going to be viable. They don't think people are going to play. They think that there could be a knee-jerk reactionary measure by players above and beyond just guys who are going to be drafted high to not play in the spring. You've already told them they're going to keep their scholarships. They're going to have a year of eligibility added on. A lot of them may look around and say, you know what, we wanted to play in the fall. You're trying to play us in the spring. Y'all have at it. I'll be back here in the fall. I'll be back in the. You are definitely not putting me on this field twice in a calendar year for two seasons, not doing it. So, no one believes that there'll be a viable spring season. That's why there's so many loopholes, like there's so many holes, just period, in the spring argument. The reason is because they threw it out there knowing full well they don't really plan on it coming to fruition. I don't care what they're saying right now. And you know, as I've told you, I hope I'm wrong. And if. They do have to push it to spring, which the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are trying to do. I hope they pull it off, obviously. I'd I'd love to be talking about actual games in early February. All due respect to National Signing Day, I'd love to be talking about Ohio State's upcoming trip to Happy Valley. But that is not thought to be viable by a lot of people. Now, Chip Brown, two shout-outs in the show tonight thus far for chip brown over at horns 24 7 very dialed in in the big 12 is chip brown if you are subscribed to the 24 7 sports youtube channel you probably saw us drop an emergency edition of the texas uh, flagship podcast on the channel friday hey chip brown sent us a message hey i got bob bowlsby are we interested in that big 12 commissioner bob bowlsby I got it for an exclusive interview. Yeah, Chip, we're, we're interested in that. Go ahead and drop that in here for us. So I uploaded it onto the channel. Yeah, Bob Bowlesby gave a number of updates. I would strongly recommend you go listen to that. But Bob Bowlesby was also of the opinion that if we don't get the season in in the fall, this is the Big 12 commissioner talking. If I said Big 10, I meant Big 12. This is the Big 12 commissioner talking. He said, if we don't get this thing in in the fall, kind of don't think the Big 12 spring season would be feasible either. And that's the actual league commissioner talking there. And he also spoke at length about how much they're in contact with each other in the various Power Five conferences. Uh, Do you have to have everyone in? Could you go rogue? Could you go individual? Really, really good listen if you want to take a few minutes. And also, um, you know, I was just trying to reach out and kind of get people's updated opinion, if you will. Um, in various different arenas, some coaches, some doctors, uh, some administrators. If you'll notice, data, you know, things that you really should be valuing if you're going to make an informed decision on this stuff, it changes every day. And so what I have found, one of the biggest complaints that I've heard from some people inside the industry, so to speak, of college football is there's this growing frustration that opinions have been formed one way or the other. Like, should we play, should we not play? Opinions seem to have been formed two months ago with no willingness to adjust on both sides. And it was borne out, really, a lot of people pointed this out to me, in the Big Ten's final statement that they released, Kevin Warren's official statement about why they weren't playing this year, kind of in response to the Big Ten parents. And they talked about growing cases, and I forget the exact terminology, but the statements and the reasoning put in the Big Ten's release did not align with data. Had you released that statement a month and a half ago, the point is it would have aligned with current data. So it reeked of an opinion that was formed a couple of months ago that would have at that point married up with what reality and data said that does not necessarily pass the smell test now. So again, I I agree with that. I can definitely see the merit, but what I'm telling you is That's not me bringing that to you. That's me being a conduit, bringing it to you from a lot of people behind the scenes in the college football world. So the final thing, a lot of you messaged me about this, and I'm not going to do it, but a lot of you messaged me asking me about people in the sports media world who seem to be rooting against college football. I, I know what you're talking about. I'm not going down that road. What I would encourage you to do is no different than I encourage people this time every year to do. It's just that I'm normally talking about college football predictions. In this case, I'm talking about something else. Do yourself a favor. If you want to decide who's credible and who's not, do yourself a favor. Write down every prediction that you hear. Write down every bold statement that you hear anyone, including me, make this time of year. Write it down. Put it in a drawer somewhere. If someone's talking about who's going to win the Big 12 or if someone's talking about why or why there shouldn't be a college football season, write it down, save the link, put it in a drawer somewhere, forget about it, and then come back to it in December. You'll find out who's credible and you'll find out who is just baiting you for clicks in the summer, hoping that unlike how they are able to do with coaches who fail, they won't be held accountable for what they say. I'm always cognizant of this. That's why you very rarely see me go into hot take mode, if ever, on this show. And we, as you've also noticed, we haven't made predictions on this show yet. I like to gather as much information as possible. So when I give you a prediction on this show, it's well thought out. It may not always pan out, but it'll be well thought out. All right, let's wrap it up with a question from Shane. Really good one here. You know, we were talking a second ago about data and how it changes and how maybe an opinion that was valid two months ago may be invalid two months later. A couple of months ago, I stated on this show that I thought hot season or hot seat season would be kind of non-existent this year for a number of reasons. So let's get into that. Shane asks, do you still believe most head coaches are going to be immune from the hot seat, even if someone like Will Muschamp goes 2-8 and eight this year? Okay, so... A couple of months ago, general consensus was and still is, as far as I can tell, that football revenue was going to be down this year. Nothing is normal. Everyone's been thrown for a loop. You've got unprecedented challenges. So even if we were planning on firing a head coach, we can't do it. Optics alone would just be terrible. It would be a nightmare. So um, that football revenue being down, being one of the uh, key instigators here and kind of hitting the pause button but point was and still is most people think that you won't have many head coaches being fired unless they're fired for scandal for like cause related reasons and uh, cause is not two and eight so let's think this through here for a second big question is how much does that august logic hold up in december because you, you you know that a lot of people say things before anyone's gotten their hands dirty and anyone's gotten the uniform dirty, a lot of people say things that will happen and what they'll do if this happens and what they'll do if that happens. But then you go through the heat of battle for 10 SEC games, if you will, champ, and you come out, and let's say you do go 2-8. and champ at 2-8. and eight. Now, I can tell you right now, as uh, is, is, is sure as it's Sunday, what the arguments would be from his camp to keep himself and his staff around another year. First, obviously, COVID, COVID, COVID. And so we had a non-winnable situation this year. We had the schedule set up like we wanted. It had a couple of -of out-of-conference games to tune up, and then we were going to dive into conference play, ease our toe in there. Got a new offensive coordinator. You told me I needed to make changes. I made changes. Then they took spring from us, and the changes haven't taken root yet. And by the way, if I need to sell you on the fact that the players still believe in me, need I run the name Gunnar Stockton by any of you? Five-star quarterback just committed to me out of the state of Georgia a couple of weeks ago. There's our future. I got our offensive coordinator. Now I got our quarterback. Just give me time. That would be the argument. Can you sell two and eight? Reasonably, can you sell two and eight? We were talking about this in one of our editorial meetings the other day. And, uh, you know, the general consensus was presented, but I don't know if it was maybe Barton Simmons or uh, I think it was Barton, kind of made an interesting point. Um, And it was this yeah, you got general consensus, but what if what if someone goes rogue? What if one of those athletic directors goes rogue? And here's what he meant. I kind of thought about it and I said, "What? That's, that's a good point. And it ties right into Shane's question here. You could sit back and you could say, okay, football revenues are down. We can't be affording to buy out the current staff and pay a new staff. And it would look terrible even if we could afford it cause that, you know, other, other players is growing broke and our football revenue is down period. So we're trying to pinch pennies here. Let's just wait until next year. You could be like that and most people will. However, think about it. If you're South Carolina, this is not a tier one program. So in any normal year, if you're firing your head coach, you kind of got to get in line and you got to wait for the big boys to make their move. If there's an opening at USC, for example you know, coaches are going to choose Southern Cal over South Carolina nine times out of 10. That's just the harsh reality of the sport. So you got to kind of wait for the big boys. And then there's a pecking order. And eventually it's your turn. But see, in this year, everyone could hit the freeze button. What if you go rogue? What if you look around and say, wait a second, cross your arms and you say, we think we're going to end up having to make this move anyway. Why don't we just swallow it? And if we take a short term PR hit, that's fine. But Everyone else is sitting still. There are two entire conferences of coaches that are bored out of their minds. They've just been sitting on their hands for two months. And so there could be several candidates that we could go for there. And we could jump right to the front of the line because no one else is firing anyone. This could be our one opportunity to jump right to the front of the line easier said than done. But it does raise an interesting question, Shane, that I don't think we know the answer to. If you have a two and eight disaster season for South Carolina and those folks realize we're going to make this move eventually anyway, no, it's not going to look great. But right now let's make the move because we could jump right to the front of the line and have our pick as much as we'll ever have our pick of qualified candidates out there. We'll never have this situation arise again. What most people see as an insurmountable hurdle, let's turn it into an opportunity for us. Wouldn't be crazy. That's all I'm saying. I don't think that would be crazy. Uh, All fingers crossed that it doesn't happen because as you guys know, I like Will Muschamp, so I hope that doesn't happen. But Shane's the one who mentioned it, not me, coach. Okay, let's close it up with this. So last week, I tweeted it out. I talked about it on the Late Kick podcast and I talked about it here too. I said, there are several metrics that we watch here at this company to gauge how much our product is growing. One of those many metrics are five-star reviews and written reviews on the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. So the Late Kick podcast, what we do there is we take the feed from Late Kick Live. So you're watching it right now, maybe on YouTube. Well, the audio of this show, it's available the next day via podcast if you want to listen to it that way. I've also been doing one per week mailbag format show that's just Q&A. We don't put it on the YouTube channel, so it's only there in the podcast feed, and that's the Late Kick Extra podcast. But I said to you last week, if you guys get us to 500 five-star reviews, we are going to three nights per week for Late Kick Live. Right now, it's Sunday, Thursday. I said we're going Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And if you get us to 500 five-star reviews, we're going to add a second Late Kick Extra mailbag edition per week, which translation would give you a show every day, Monday through Friday, essentially. And I underestimated you so much because I told Tani and I told a couple of our production guys, I said, we're going to get there now. It'd probably be a couple of weeks from now. No, it was a couple of days. It was about 48 hours. And we just rocketed right past 500 five-star reviews. So we're there. So you you have put it in motion. We are going to three nights a week. Um, The only thing right now is I am here in Georgia because we had a death in the family. So I am not going to be back in Nashville until later this week. We'll still have our Thursday show this week. Like everything will be normal. So my vow to you, it's time to go to three nights a week. This time next week is when we will start that format. So we will be on the air Sunday night and then next Tuesday, Tuesday after next, that will be the first week where we go to three nights per week format. And we will also be doing two late kick extra podcasts in that week. So you're about to get a literal ton of college football thrown your way. If you haven't already subscribed to the late kick podcast, I would suggest you do it. Don't stop giving us those reviews. Who knows what I can throw at you when we get to a thousand. But having said that, Thank you so much for that. Really, 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 really appreciate it. I wish I had free stuff to give you guys. Maybe one day I will. I don't right now, but I really appreciate that. So uh, keep all of the positive reviews there coming. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already. I cannot state, in strong enough terms, we're going to have a lot of content coming up really, really soon, like season prediction content that you will not see on the show. I don't have time to put it all on the show. And so you'll wanna be subscribed for that and click the bell for notifications. You'll see it there on the YouTube channel. Click the bell for notifications after you subscribe. So with all that out of the way, thank you for tuning in. I know it's kind of weird seeing me down here instead of in the normal studio, but circumstances arose and we couldn't get around it. Uh, We will be back here Thursday night, same time at 8 Eastern, 7 Central on the Twenty Four Seven Sports YouTube channel. Thank you wherever you are. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. For Director Colin, for our podcast guys, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great, safe week, and God bless.